0: So I would love to uh, start with a question today. Uh, It's just a fun question. Don't stress about it, okay? You're going to share with a neighbor. Bonus points in heaven if you share with somebody that you don't know. Um, Ready? Simple question. Here it is. Who is the greatest band of all time? Greatest band of all time, okay? It could be a a new band. It could be an old band. Doesn't matter. Turn to a neighbor and share and tell them why. Why are they the greatest band ever? Everybody's got to participate. Don't look at me like I'm crazy. Just turn to somebody. Tell them, this is the greatest band of all time. Who is it? The Beach Boys, okay? It's the Beach Boys, yep. It's not actually up for debate. It's a scientific fact, um, and, uh, you know, Pastor John only gave me 30 minutes to share with you, so I can't really go into all the details of how I got there, but if you want to talk later, I'm, I'm more than happy to explain uh, how I got there. And if they're not number one, they got to be top three with um, maybe like Nickelback and the Gaithers. They're up there anyways, just a joke. Uh, but, you know, I like them for the same reasons I like almost any band, right? They have catchy music. They have lyrics that stick with you. Maybe you guys, all, all the bands that you shared, you're thinking of a song or something that was ringing in your head. It's like, oh, they got this line. It's so good, right? I can't forget it. It's so hard to forget it. I just, they, it sticks with me over the years. And as I was a young guy, I used to, my family had this cabin, middle of nowhere, Wisconsin. Okay? And we would drive down these dirt roads in my dad's old truck, and we'd turn on the radio, and for some reason, on this oldie station in northwest Wisconsin, the Beach Boys were on all the time. So I got exposed to them a lot as a little kid, and for some reason, this one song has just stuck with me Forever. And it's made me ask questions about some of the things you and I feel and hope for. And so for some of you in the room who need a little refresher, or a little schooling on the Beach Boys, for some of you whippersnappers in the room that need, you know, to, to know the greatness that is the Beach Boys, I'm, we're going to play this song in a second. I just want you to listen to the lyrics and see if you can catch some of the things that have stuck with me all these years, okay? So you're in a better mood, actually. I can tell. Some of you Some of you are not convinced yet. Um, You know, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking some of you are going to go out to lunch with family members who go to different churches after this, and they're going to be like, yeah, we were talking about the tribulation, you know, or end time stuff. And they're like, man, I just grew so much. And they're going to say, what did you learn today? And you're going to say, well, it would have been good, but it was the youth pastor's turn, and so we listened to the Beach Boys instead. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So hopefully I can redeem myself with the time I have left. But the lines I hope you had caught are these. Wouldn't it be nice if we were older? And then we wouldn't have to wait so long. And wouldn't it be nice to live together in the kind of a world where we belong? They're talking about young love and and skipping all the hard stuff, the waiting so that they can finally be together. But I think the Beach Boys were on to something. And I think they're expressing something that's inside of us. Wouldn't it be nice in life if we could skip all the hard things and just get to all the good stuff all the time. Don't you feel that? Who wants to walk through crappy times? Nobody. Nobody has ever wanted to do that. Wouldn't it be nice in life if we could skip over all the things that are so hard and just get to all the things that are good? Because the Beach Boys know what you and I know. Waiting is really hard. Waiting is hard, and all of us are waiting for something. So, I want to ask each of you in the room, you don't have to share with anybody, in this season, what is it that you're waiting for? What are you waiting for? I want you to get that in your mind right now. Could be really deep, could be just something simple, but what is it that you're waiting for? And some of you might not think that waiting's hard. And in that case, go ahead and ignore me for the next 30 minutes. But I was one of those kids who never brought home a report card that said, Your greatest gift, patience. You know, never got one of those. And I think some of you maybe are like me. And so if that's you, this message is for you. And maybe you're waiting for, like me, an injury to heal. You know, for the cast to come off. Anybody ever been there? Yep, it's brutal. Or maybe you're waiting for a baby to come. And Sam and I know that all too well. Uh, We're actually pregnant with twins, and they should be here probably in a couple weeks. Um, But I think... As I've thought about it, it feels like in my heart that it would be better if I could skip going through healing and recovery and just have an ankle that works. Or, you know, instead of watching Sam go through these nine months to just have the babies in our arms, don't you just sometimes want to skip the hard stuff and get to the good stuff? A ton of our life is spent waiting. And in the world, but especially in America, we're not very good at waiting for pretty much Anything. We can see it in our kids. You remember the question in the car, Dad, are we there yet? Dad, are we there yet? It's like, no, Billy, we didn't even leave the driveway yet. Chill out. <laughs> but just when you're about to lose your patience, you remember that even for the youngest kids, waiting is really, really hard. Um, you know, when I, was, when I was a little kid, my mom had this super cool new invention. I brought a picture of it. Um, yep, that is called a bag phone. Mm-hmm. And those used to be hot, if you've never seen those before. It was a big deal if you had one of those. And I'm going to give you the rundown. Pretty much what would happen is they would barely fit under the back seat. um, And then if you had an emergency, you might be able to make a call within roughly an hour. And it would probably cost you $37.50. The bag phone was pretty much useless, okay? But technology being what it is, we were on to something. In just a few short years, now I bet you... 90% 90% of you have a smartphone, right? Maybe even higher percentage than that. Um, we have smart homes, smart TVs, smartphones that give us anything we want at the drop of a hat. There's actually a smart Brita pitcher um, that the, the filter will order you a brand new one on Amazon when it's getting low on life. Did you know this? Some of you will buy it after this. But I think... Old people and young people alike are addicted to filling the hard spaces of waiting in their life so that they don't have to go through it. The other day, I'm not exempt. I was in a coffee shop. The, the Wi-Fi went out for 30 seconds. I started to hyperventilate. I was sweating all over. I felt like I had to go to the bathroom. It was awkward. I just You don't know how to wait. It's like I'm so used to having Wi-Fi. How could I possibly not have it for even a second? Ever seen somebody who's waited too long to eat? There's a legitimate diagnosable disease called hangry. Uh, They turn into literally a monster. And I've seen some of you, and you're not fun to be around when you're hungry, okay? It's true. You're laughing and you're nudging your spouse. I see it. Because waiting is hard. It's why we have fast food and instant coffee and Amazon Prime, which, side note, God bless Amazon Prime. Anybody agree with me on that? Yes. I was thinking about it, and it's like, you know, Instead of going to the store and buying the mega pack of toilet paper, I can just click a button, and then I don't have to embarrass myself and see you guys in the store, you think I have an issue. But instead, it's just right on my doorstep. In two days, free shipping, no problem. It is awesome. It's my own opinion. But the truth remains, when we have stuff to keep us busy all the time and solve our struggles for us, we never really have to wait for much of anything. I think I've made my point. Um, But in the world that we live, not only is waiting hard, it's only going to get harder. It's not going to get easier. People aren't all of a sudden going to go, you know what? I'm just rushed. I'm just going to become really patient and give up all the good things I've got. It's not going to happen. And so today I would love to just talk a little bit about what does it mean for us as Jesus followers to wait, to wait in life on the Lord to wait on people, to be patient. What does that look like for us? Because we're in a series called The Longest Weekend, and we're walking through these days before Easter, Holy Week, or so it's called. And if you've got a pulse, you've heard of Easter, the day that Jesus put death to death and he raised from the grave, and we're going to celebrate it next week, and it's going to be powerful, and it's going to be awesome. I hope you're as excited for Easter as I am. But if you've been around a little longer, maybe you've heard of this thing, Good Friday, where we talk about the fact that Jesus actually suffered. He can relate to us in our suffering. If you've been around even longer, maybe you've heard of this thing, Maundy Thursday, that Pastor Mark talked about a little while ago. And those days are great, and they're part of Holy Week, absolutely, but there is a day that gets almost no attention, and I think it's an absolute shame because I think there is so much to learn from Saturday. Saturday. Holy Saturday, some of you have maybe heard it called, the very day before Easter. Um, And today we're going to look at that day as a way to understand how we live our lives as we approach Easter Sunday. And so um, if you want to turn to uh, page 737 in a Worship Center Bible, feel free. Uh, Otherwise, take out a phone or we have, you know, Sky Bibles up here again. So if you need those and you've forgotten your Bible, here we go. Follow along, if you will. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean, um, sorry, the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and then he took it down, he wrapped it in linen cloth and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. Let me read that one more time. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. And then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. If you're not careful... You might miss the whole point here. Um, The last thing we just read about when it comes to Easter in the Gospel of Luke is on Friday night, okay? The day of preparation, okay? Preparation for what, you might ask? Preparation for the Sabbath. You had to get ready for the Sabbath to come. Uh, And Sabbath is actually from sundown on Friday till sundown on Saturday. Some of us think it's Sunday, but in this culture, not the case. So um, one that follows the Sabbath to the letter of the law here, we're reading about Friday night. And do you know what comes next in Luke's gospel? Very next line. Very telling. I think it's fascinating. Luke 24, 1, we're going to read it. Here's what it says. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Now, first day of the week is what? Okay, you guys are a church culture. Great. Many would say Monday. It is Sunday, like uh, several of you have said. We begin the week worshiping God. Um, So we have Jesus dying on a Friday. Sabbath begins, and then we pick up in Luke's gospel, and we're reading about Sunday morning they go to the tomb. Last time I checked, there's a whole day in between Friday and Sunday, and I think that that's still true today. Am I right? Yes. Okay. Some of you live for these Saturdays. Okay, so Between Friday and Sunday is Saturday. Maybe the reason why we don't talk about Holy Saturday very often is because the Bible doesn't have a ton to say on the topic, or at least Luke's gospel doesn't. They kind of skip right over it. But have you ever thought about what happened on that day, the day right before Jesus raises from the dead? Or have you never really given it much thought? I think that it's a really significant day, and And here's why. I think, think about it like this. Peter, he's sitting there on Saturday. Last thing he's thinking about is how he denied Jesus. And he's just sitting in it with the weight of it. Mary just lost her son. The disciples not only lost a friend, but a mentor. It sounds like a really hard and a really heavy day. And they don't know Sunday's coming yet. They're just on Saturday. And I think that we can relate. And I think one of the questions we need to ask ourselves in this life is, what do we do between the pain of Good Friday and the payoff of Easter Sunday? What do we do between the pain of Good Friday and the payoff of Easter Sunday? What do we do in life between the most painful times and the times when hope comes? Maybe like Luke's gospel, we just kind of skip right over it because they're uncomfortable but we shouldn't. And I think an important question for us is how should we wait? Because most of our life is spent waiting, remember? And all of us are waiting for something. But maybe for you it's not just a problem with something simple like, like the stoplight to change or the cast to come off or for your babies to come. Maybe the waiting that you're walking through is a lot harder. Maybe for you, you're waiting for a job to come through or for that college to get back to you or for your kids to come back to faith in Jesus or to get back in the church. You're waiting for something. Or maybe your waiting has to do with understanding God. It's like a question you have for him. I'm waiting for an answer. Like, why does bad stuff keep happening to good people, God? And you're waiting, trying to understand what the heck he's doing. Or maybe you're waiting for an addiction to lose its grip, or for a relationship to be restored, or for anxiety or depression to just get a little bit less so you can function in your life. We're all waiting for something. And if you're waiting, and you all are, you're in good company because the church has always been waiting. We are a people of perpetual waiting, actually. We waited for the Messiah to come. And now we wait for his second coming. But we haven't always waited very well. And that's why Jesus had to say things like, hey, keep watch. Don't get lazy. Live like I'm coming back. Wait well. He had to teach us how to wait then, and he has to teach us how to wait right now. So, again, I'll ask you and remind you what are you waiting for? Have you thought of it yet? What's the thing that is dragging you down through the mud? Every day you can't get traction, every day you struggle, and every day you want to understand, or every day you want God to bring resolution in that area, and you just can't get it. What are you waiting for? Whatever it is, I just want to take some time today and not give you five steps to know how to wait well. Um, But I've been in a season of waiting in all sorts of ways with uh, the ankle injury and with waiting for the twins to come and, you know, asking God questions that it feels like he's just not listening to or not giving me an answer for. You know what that's like? And instead of giving you the, the tricks to wait well, I'd rather give you three things not to do. Three things that I've learned from experience don't work very well, and I bet some of you have tried them too. So I'm going to give you some waiting warnings to to close our time together. So waiting warning number one, don't ignore the pain while you wait. Don't ignore pain while you wait. That's why the world goes so fast. We talked about that, right? We're not very good at waiting for anything. But I think the fact that this Sabbath day, this Saturday um, was Sabbath, is such a big deal because Jesus' followers, these people of God, couldn't really do anything to avoid their waiting. I mean, Sabbath was pretty strict. There's like no work. But sometimes when we're in the misery of Good Friday, we'll do anything to get out of it. So we'll go shopping, or we'll work harder, we'll stay busy, we'll use more substances to take our mind off it, whatever we can do to avoid the pain. But I think what's true is that sometimes when we go through pain, we just need to sit, not rush, not try to fix it right away. Here's why. I believe that if you can't actually understand the fullness of the brokenness, you will never understand the fullness of the blessing. If you can't sit in pain, you'll never understand victory, really. Because if you can't understand the pain of Good Friday, I don't think you'll really understand the payoff of Easter Sunday. If I don't go through the pain of recovery from the ankle injury, will I ever be really that thankful when it works again? Now, <clears throat> may come as a shock to you, but I've never actually given birth to a child. Um, but I wonder, and I'm just asking the ladies in the room who, who have children, is part of what makes it's such an accomplishment, and it is, is the fact that it's not easy. Nine months, morning sickness, pain, exhaustion, can't sleep. You know, you're going through, your body's going through changes. It's difficult. And then actually giving birth as well. It's, it's hard, right? Like, it's, it's not easy. Part of what makes it so special is that it's not easy. If just anybody could do it, do you think we would think, It's that big of a deal? I think part of what makes it so beautiful is actually the fact that it's difficult. And I think in life, when we can sit in difficult things, we start to understand the beauty that's on the other side. Okay, Um, so that's waiting warning number one. Waiting warning number two, okay? Uh, Don't isolate yourself while you wait. Uh, When you're waiting and when you're in grief, I think it's a huge temptation to want to be alone. It's like, you don't get me. I don't really want to talk to you. Just leave me alone. But I think we need to understand the power of community while we wait on God. Um, And um, I just want to talk to you about this one guy in the Bible, Job. And there's this beautiful part in his story. It's probably my favorite part in, in the book of Job. It's where Job's friends come to be with with him when he's gone through more suffering than you could ever imagine, okay? So Job, a godly man who goes through all this suffering, and he's got three friends that come and show him what community is all about. And I'm going to read it to you, and then I'm just going to give you a, a point that maybe we could learn from it, okay? So, so here's what it says. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite, great names, Heard about these troubles that had come upon their friend Job, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. This is the part I love. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. And then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and for seven nights, and nobody said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. I don't know about you, but when somebody's hurting, somebody's waiting in grief, I love to fix them, because I don't know how to wait with them. I don't know how to be patient. I just want to fix it so I can get going with this rat race that is life. As fast as I can just make them feel like they're okay, we can just move on. And I think what Job's friends are teaching me is that it's okay to just sit with a friend with no words, with no real help except just your presence. And I think as a church, we could learn what community is all about if we could learn that. Let's not rush. Let's not fix. Sometimes it's just okay to sit with somebody in pain. Um, And, you know, for for Sam and I, I think... The primary thing that's gotten us through this season of waiting is you guys. A lot of you have been in our apartment, brought us meals, cared for us. And and I just want to say, like, it would have been a, a long and hard road without you. But I think that's what community is about. When you can't do it on your own, God's people can do it with you. And I think that that's what's gotten us through. All right, last waiting warning that I want to share with you today. Don't ignore the schemes of the enemy while you wait. Do you remember uh, the schemes series we did just a couple, few series ago? You guys remember that? Okay, cool. Um, here's what I want to say. Though Luke doesn't really say anything about this Saturday, there actually is a, a passage of scripture that does talk about what happened on Saturday. And I think it will give us some insight into that last and third point. So it comes from Matthew 27, uh, 62 to 66. And so if you're wondering, you know, what actually did happen on that Saturday, this is what we read about. So follow along on the screen, if you will. Here's what it says. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir... We remember how that imposter, they're talking about Jesus here, said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples might go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Here's what I've learned in in waiting. When all of your hopes and all of your dreams feel like they're dead and laying in a tomb somewhere, you're vulnerable, you're waiting on God for help to come or for an answer to come, the enemy wants nothing more than to keep that door sealed and that hurt protected. He'll stop at nothing to keep you down. I wonder if somebody in the room feels that today. They feel like they've put on on the right face for a long time. They've gone to church. they never really addressed any of their issues. But when they're home alone, in the quietness and the darkness of their own house late at night, everything feels dead. It feels like it's just put away. There is no hope. And if that's you, I just want to say I'm really sorry because that's a hard place to be. And I want to tell you that I think there's people in the room that can resonate with how you feel. So if that's you, and all you've ever come to uh, experience with the church is people who just don't get it or pretend they're good, I hope you hear that that's just not true. The truth is, in Easter, we talk a lot about the victory of Easter Sunday, and that's good, and we should, that God is alive. Sometimes we talk about suffering, the fact that God can relate to us, and that's good, too. But I believe that a ton of the Christian life is spent on Saturday, waiting on God, wondering what the heck he's really doing here, and then waiting some more. Maybe you're trying to deal with the hurt, you're trying to deal with the pain, and you're just waiting. The good news is that I believe in those times our faith grows. And in those times, God's still, small voice gets just a little bit louder if you're willing to listen. And I want to remind those of you who feel like you're in the midst of waiting that God has not forgotten you. God has not left your side Take courage. It's going to be okay. And as I've thought and as i prayed on how we might respond to this message today, I just keep thinking, it's pretty simple. When you're waiting, you just need more patience. God's in control. He's doing things that we cannot see. But to have more patience, you need more trust. To have more trust, you need more faith. And the only thing that's worked in my life to really give me any of those... Is worship. It's it's like I may not feel it to be true, but I know it's true, and I'm going to worship God anyways. You know, maybe for you, you feel like you're in the desert, and it's like you know you're not in Egypt anymore, but you're not in the Promised Land, and you're just kind of wandering, and it's hot, and it's miserable, and you're eating manna, and who wants to eat that? And it's just brutal. But somewhere there, you realize that you're going to set up shop and worship anyways because God is with you. And I think the message that I'm supposed to give you guys today is the fact that no matter what you're going through as we approach Easter, God is with you. God goes with you into the hardest things you could ever imagine. He'll be with you when you're on the mountaintop and when you're celebrating as well. So we're going to sing a song and we're going to say two things during this song. One, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus, no matter how we feel or where we think we're at. And two, we're going to trust him even when we can't see it. And so I want to just open the room up as a place where you can hear from and connect with God. If that means coming down front, kneeling, if that means standing and raising your hands, if that means laying before the Lord, or just sitting and praying and thinking, the room is open to you to hear from God. Because he, if he said one thing to you today for a millisecond, it would be far more impactful than me talking for 30 minutes. So would you, with me, give your whole self to God while we sing this song together?